0: God is good, all and all the time, God is good. Ah, we were being lulled into this wonderful spirit, now I want to hear you say, God is forgiving, all the time. and all the time, God is do you believe it, Amen. all the time God is forgiving, Amen. really, yeah. I mean really, yeah. all the time God is forgiving, just think about that for a second. All the time, God is forgiving. And God is forgiving all the time. Um, I had my first run-in with the law since being here. I say first because there will probably be a second. Uh, Mostly because of my wife. But no, I'm just kidding. Just make sure you're staying with me. She's not here today, so I can talk quite a bit about her. I'm going to use her in every illustration. no, you can actually keep her in prayer and my kids in prayer. We have the double whammy. Both of our kids got sick last night. So they're at the Church of Urgent Care this morning, getting some healing, hopefully. Uh, they're getting some medication, and hopefully get them better. But I did have my first run-in with the law not too long ago. I was, uh, I was driving, and um, I got caught on a technicality. You, know, you never get caught for doing something wrong. You get caught on a technicality. And so I was driving and um, I, you know, because God is gracious to me um, all the time, (laughs) I was coming to a stop sign and I saw the police officer hiding over there to my right. It was a a three-way stop, if I remember correctly. And I, I pulled up and I saw him and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm just making sure you do everything right. See, because, you know, I've had experience from the past <laughs> that, uh, you know, they can tell when you stop not versus when you roll through a stop because they can see in your wills, when they can see it clearly, they know you've stopped completely. So I stopped. I looked at him and smiled. <laughs> Just so he would know that I'm aware of what he's up to. And then I proceeded through going, I did that all right. And then the next thing I know, I saw these flashing lights behind me. I don't think he enjoyed my confidence that morning. And, and you know, I love the law. I love law enforcement. And I love, I mean, the law is good. I mean, just think about it. Would you want to live in a town, in a city, in a county that has no law? That would be pretty scary. So I love the law. I mean, I, lo- I just think if everybody lived according to the law, everything would be perfect. Now, whether there's love or not is another question. But I just, don't you just feel so much love, you know, from when, when, you, when you see those lights behind you, you just get this warm fuzzy. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of this, oh, I can't wait to expect and experience the love that's going to come towards me on this. And so he, uh, I pull over to the side and realize that he wasn't going to, it was me he was after, not the people in front of me. And I pulled over, and, and he walked up to my window. And of course, his first question is what? We have a lot of experienced people in this room, don't we? <laughs> not usually. Well, as I remember, it, because it's so fresh, he didn't ask me for driver, driver's license or registration. He asked me, do you know why I pulled you over? Of course we always know right? Or we don't know. Or if we know, we play dumb. <laughs> no, officer, I really don't have any idea why you pulled me over. And I was saying, I really didn't. I mean, I came to a complete stop. And he says, well, you, you went across that white line. <laughs> My feelings exactly. Ah, <laughs> oh. <laughs> you rolled across that front line. You need to stop before the white line See, I came to a complete stop, everything. But the law got me. Bam! Right there. And I said, okay, I wasn't aware of that. You know, I I guess I guess I'm guilty. So he just just a minute, I'll be back. And he goes back. And I'm sitting there, you know, not I didn't even get far from my neighborhood. And I'm thinking, all right, this is gonna be a great thing for a lot of my church members to see. You know, because there's a lot of them in my neighborhood. and uh, I run into them quite frequently, whether I'm jogging or walking or whatever I'm doing. And uh, so I'm sitting there going, all right, well, hopefully I won't be too much of a role model today on this. And he comes back to me and he says, um, is this your current address? It says San Marcos, California. And I said, oh, no, actually, we just moved here, you know, not too long ago. And he goes, yeah, well, You failed. You failed to change your address on your driver's license and your registration. And I said, oh, no, my wife took care of that. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, they believe you when they look at the records and it doesn't show that, right? But I was told by my wife that she went online to the DMV, and she even printed out proof that we had done that. So I said, oh, no, my wife, I assure you, took care of that. And he said, well, actually, she didn't. (laughs) Because it would show up if she had. And I said, no, really, really, she has. And he said, okay. So he came back, and, and he gave me, you ever get a love note? <laughs> you know, the, it, it, it looks something like this. And he wrote me up on two counts. He says, and he was really nice. He said, I'm going to let you go on rolling past the white line, but I have to write you up on the change of address. So I'm going to write you up for that, and... Um, And just take care of it, you know, by the 15th of April, and you should be okay. So I said, all right. So I began to move that direction of taking care of it. And and I went to the DMV to get this taken care of. I I I learned something about your DMV in this area. It's a very popular place to be. (laughs) Um, I thought I'd go to the Redlands one first, and when I saw the line wrapping around the front of the building, I said, there's no way I'm gonna get that done in the next hour. So I said, I'll go to the one in Banning. So I actually went online to try to make an appointment, and the earliest appointment I could get, now this was a few days before April 15, the earliest appointment I could get was May 26. (laughs) I said, well, that's not gonna work. So then I decided to show up a half an hour early the day, you know, the next morning at the one in Banning. And I thought, I'll get there early before it even opens, I'll be in great shape. Well, if you've ever been there, about a half hour before the DMV opens, everybody else has the same idea. So I was there, line wrapping around the front of the building, and I thought, well, that's okay, I'll just wait. And so I got in, you know, waited, 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 got in, finally got to the front desk where somebody could give me some direction. And I said, you know, I just need to take care of this. And she goes, well, we don't take care of tickets. I go, okay, but I, d- I need to change my address. So she gave me this form and I changed, I put on there my new change of address for the license and for the registration. And she said, just bring it back. You don't have to wait in line again. I'll take care of this. You don't even have to pay anything. It'll be done. I said, oh, this is wonderful. So she gave me a little card that shows that I've done this, that I can keep with my wallet because my license will still show the old address. And so I, I, I did that. And I said, that was easy. That was that was great. And I thought, you know, today's the day I was supposed to appear in court if I was going to fight this thing. I thought maybe I should go over to the courthouse and just make sure everything's Good, because, you know, as you get older in life, like myself, you realize that some things fall through the cracks. And you can be held accountable for something that you didn't do. So I thought, you know, I'll just go over there. And I went over there, and I went to the clerk, and I said, I just want to make sure I got this all done. I'm proving to you it's done. And, and she looks, oh, yeah, this is great, this is great. And she goes, oh, oh wait, well, you did half of it. I said, half of it? And she goes, yeah. She says, they cleared you for your driver's license, but they didn't clear you for the registration. I said, oh, no. I said, you mean I have to go back to the DMV and wait in line and, and do this? And she goes, well, you got to get, you know, go to the police station. If you go to the police station, they'll take care of it. They'll sign it off for you, and you'll be good. So I said, okay. So I found the police station in Beaumont. This was a great spiritual exercise I was doing this day. And I went to the police station, and the lady there said, oh, yeah, no, this, this is good. This, is, this clears you of everything. I'll just have a police officer come out and just sign it completely off. I said, oh, this is great. So I sat there in the police station just kind of making friends and talking to some people who were there for, for other reasons, um, <laughs> of which I won't bore you the details, but quite exciting lives. And um, the, the police officer came out and he says, well, I've got some good news and some bad news. I said, okay. He goes, I'll give you the good news first. The good news is, is that I'm signing off on your driver's license. I'm like, well, that was already done. Um, he said, but I, I can't sign you off on the registration. You're going to have to go back to the DMV and take care of that for you. And I thought, oh, man. So I went back, actually, to the courthouse, and the, and the clerk, I said, you know, today it's supposed to be done, and I just don't have time to go back to the DMV and stand in probably twice as long of a line now. Um, is there any way I can get an extension? So she gave me a 60-day extension, and I went back home, went online, and got an appointment for May 26th <laughs> to try to finish this. But the law, you know, is a wonderful thing. It is, and I say that in all seriousness, but it's not perfect. It's not perfect, and the reason it's not perfect is because there's human beings in charge of it. And, and nobody's perfect. Nobody does everything perfect. It just, things happen. And there's nobody who loves perfectly. There's nobody who never has a selfish thought. There's there's nobody who never has that thought of kind of just looking out for yourself, you know, every once in a while. But the law is good, but it's hard sometimes to find love in the law. But it's there, but it's hard sometimes. You know, one of our, half of our mission statement is loving God. Loving God, loving people. How do we grow more in love with God? Is it from the law? There's a lot of good in the law. There's things in the law that if I give my attention to it, I might experience more of God's love. But, but how about my love for God? Does it grow more from doing the right thing consistently? Does my love for God grow more if, if I consistently pay my tithes and offerings? I mean, that's a great thing. Does my love for God grow more if I pray for my enemies, if I turn the other cheek, if, I, if I'm consistently present with the church body? Is, does my love for God grow more maybe if I accept a call into full-time ministry and really devote my whole life to Him? Will my love for God grow more? I'm not sure about that. I am sure of something that Jesus taught a Pharisee one day in the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, Jesus is invited by a Pharisee to come to his house and to dine with him. The Pharisees, uh, just before this, were giving Jesus some trouble. They weren't too sure if they wanted to really believe that he was the one. Jesus had been, uh, in Luke chapter 7, it says, healing many, many people of sickness and of blindness and all kinds of diseases and casting out demons. For many people he had been doing this. And the Pharisees were struggling with him. John the Baptist had been preaching about the gospel, about Jesus, about forgiveness of sins. And here's this Pharisee who decides to invite this controversial rabbi into his house for dinner. Try to figure out exactly who this guy is, if he is the one, or if he's an imposter. And so, verse 36 says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Now, in those days, the table was more on the ground, it wasn't like we eat today. And there were no chairs. They had pillows around the table. And they sort of, they would lay down on their side with their left arm kind of leaning on the pillow. And they would eat with their right hand. So their head, all their heads are like close to the table and all their feet are going out away from the table. And so they're reclining, enjoying this dinner. Now, it was very common in those days, too, that the house was built kind of around an open courtyard. And when there was a special dinner like this, it was open for people in the town to come. To come and enjoy kind of what was taking place and to listen in on the the discussion. You know, being close to Jesus and inviting Jesus to home for dinner can be a very scary thing. It can be a dangerous thing. My daughter just this week, it it was cute, we were getting ready for school one morning and she said, Dad, where do you think the safest place in Bible times would be? I thought, I wonder where this question's coming from. I think it was kind of stirred from the walk through the Bible last Saturday up, up at Pine Springs Ranch. Maybe she was thinking of some of that. What do you think the safest place in the Bible would be? And I thought, okay. I said, well, probably close to Jesus. That would be, be the safest place in Bible times to be is close to Jesus. And she goes, she goes yeah, right. <laughs> and I went, well, I go, why? Why do you do that? She goes, because he got killed. <laughs> I mean, they crucified him that's not a very safe place to be. And I said, wow, you're right. Being close to Jesus is not necessarily the safest place to be. In fact, it's a very dangerous place. One of my uh, favorite mentors from a distance when I was doing uh, youth ministry was Mike Iaconelli, kind of the grandfather of youth ministry. And he wrote a book called Dangerous Wonder. It's a great book if you haven't read it. And he, he talked about I think the quote is there is, this, I want to live dangerously close to Jesus every day. I want to live dangerously close to Jesus. He, he talks about, uh, he, his house was up, uh, unfortunately he was in a tragic accident years ago, but he lived up kind of by Mount Shasta. And Mount Shasta kind of shadowed his little city there. And he said it wasn't uncommon that you'd be driving down these roads and find cows in the middle of the road. And you wonder, how did these cows get in the middle of the road? You know, it's, they, they would have these big fenced-in areas, but somehow these cows would end up in the middle of the road, and, and you were liable if you hit one, not the farmer. And so there's this story about how the cows start nibbling on, on the grass, and they keep moving towards this grass. And then as they get close to the fence, they see this kind of tuft of grass on the other side of the fence that just kind of draws them. And they find this, this tear in the fence, and they go through, and they end up... Out in the street. And the farmer said, you know, no one just kind of drifts. He he said this, I wrote it down. Cows don't intend to get lost. They just nibble their way to lostness. And they just kind of end up there. Jesus is at this Pharisee's house. And we're going to discover that even though the Pharisee was wrapped into the law, the goodness of God, Even though he was wrapped into it, he somehow ended up lost. Somehow he just kind of kept nibbling in his life and and, and somehow he ended up lost. The story goes on and it says that a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. A woman in the city who was a sinner. What a reputation she must have had. I mean, think about just Calamesa. What if everyone in Cala Mesa knew the woman who was a sinner? That's quite a reputation. Probably she was what we might call a woman of the night. She was maybe the person that you would see, you know, when you're leaving the church. Maybe you're, you're, you're leaving a meeting, the sun's starting to go down, you pull up to the stop sign at 5th and Myrtlewood, and you'd see her there. Oh, there's the woman. The woman of the city. She stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. And began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. And then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. I don't think she planned on it to happen this way. You see, it's believed that, that this woman had possibly been baptized by John the Baptist. That through John's preaching, she she heard the good news of God's forgiveness, to repent. And that God's wisdom, as the Old Testament refers to it, God's wisdom, his plan of salvation to redeem and rescue humanity, could happen through faith in God and trusting his love. And so she experienced the forgiveness of God, and now she came into the presence of Jesus, who was in the flesh, God's plan of salvation, God's wisdom for the world. There he was. And she came with her alabaster jar and her ointment to bless Jesus. And as she came around close to his feet, she was overwhelmed with the love of God's presence before her. And she could not hold back the tears and began to weep and to cry. You ever been in a situation where where things just didn't go the way you planned and things kind of got out of hand and something happened more than you anticipated for it to happen? I think that happened to her she began to weep and then oh no all these tears on Jesus's feet I might create a scene so she lets down her hair and tries to cover her tracks but now she's done something that really draws attention a woman never lets down her hair in public and she starts to cover her tracks and tries to dry the tears and then as she gets close to Jesus's feet she can't help but want to kiss the feet of Jesus such love Such amazing love that she experiences from God and begins to pour back to Jesus himself. She goes on then and anoints his feet. And Simon goes, aha, the Pharisee, the one who knows the goodness of the law, in fact, loves it so much, helped create rules around the law to keep it safe and pure if he really was a prophet, he would know who this woman is who's touching him. But Jesus, being the true prophet, reveals to Simon his thoughts and tells him what he's thinking. In verse 39, It says the words that Simon said, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him, that she's a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. And so Jesus lures Simon into a riddle. He says a certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them now which of them will love him more simon sits there and i and i have to imagine that simon's sitting there going okay this sounds way too easy this just this is so easy and so obvious but ah oh, do i answer what i'm thinking this is my house i've got this guy here and i'm i want to expose him for who he is but Well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. Hmm. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Simon was good at judging rightly. You see, interestingly enough, here we had two very religious people. Jesus and the Pharisee. One that says righteousness is that in which we keep the law pure and holy and we make sure that we let others know what is pure and holy with the law and we stay away from people who are not pure and holy. And the other one, the other righteousness of the controversial rabbi is one that says the righteousness of God is one that goes to the people who are not holy and pure and law-abiders. And we go and we bring the faithful love of God into their presence. That is the righteousness of God. And so here's this woman and these two men dialoguing with the dinner guests. And Jesus continues to open Simon's eyes. He reveals to him that you may be the host entitled tonight, but tonight... The real hostess is this woman. You see, she has really taken me into her home. She really has let me come into her being. While you did not do the things that a hostess would typically do, give me water to wash my dirty feet from the journey, and give me oil to soothe my head from the hot day's journey, and to give me the kiss of fellowship and friendship and peace. This woman you see right here that's been touching my feet, she has not stopped kissing my feet since I've been here. She has been washing my feet with her tears and drying them with her hair, and she has anointed me. She truly is the hostess. She truly is the one who has really received God's presence. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. We want to know how to love God more? Let Him forgive us. Let Him forgive us more. I spent time this week wrestling with this passage, not so much just the text and the words and all of that but really wrestling with god and sitting there in some still moments going god i know i can love you more but it must mean i need to let you forgive me more where in my life am i not letting you touch me with your forgiveness where in my life am i am i not letting you just free me There's a sobering passage, verse, just before this narrative that that I'm talking about today. It begins in verse 28 of chapter 7, and it says, I tell you among those born of women, this is Jesus talking, no one is greater than John, yet the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people who heard this, including the tax collectors, acknowledged the justice of God because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But by refusing to be baptized by him, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves. Did you hear that? But by refusing to be baptized, to repent, to accept the good news of God's forgiveness of sins, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves. God's purpose for us is to let him forgive us. To be forgiven by God. And in that, that we would love him much. When we are forgiven much by God, we love God much. To what then, he says, will I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. But you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Nevertheless, wisdom is vindicated by all her children. You see, this passage shows us exactly what Jesus was saying. Wisdom is vindicated by all her children. In this passage, the one who had been wrapped up and consumed by the wisdom of God, the plan of salvation, the redemption of God, was showing herself. The one who supposedly was wrapped up in the wisdom of God, the law, and everything else, was showing himself. Wisdom is vindicated by all her children. The sinner, the woman of the city, was showing herself to be a child of God the least likely. Jesus looked at the woman and said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in shalom. Go in the peace of God that impacts your entire being. Know the forgiveness of God, that he has made things right because he loves us all the time and he forgives us all the time. And now go. Your trust in God will bring about the shalom of God in your complete being. I brought a present up here with me today, as I'm sure you noticed. And I'm going to let you in the spirit enjoy what that means to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love, for your forgiveness. And we so want to grow more in love with you. And Lord, it seems pretty clear that the way we grow more in love with you is to let you forgive us more. Forgive us deeply, profoundly. May we, by your grace, in your spirit experience even more the profoundness of your forgiveness toward us so that we may profoundly express our love to you take a moment now in silence to just be still in the presence of God maybe you want to just for a minute place yourself around that dinner table Maybe you want to imagine that you are the woman or that you're the Pharisee or you're one of the other guests, just like a fly on the wall taking this in. And Jesus looks at you and tells you, you are forgiven. Enjoy that moment. Forgiven
1: because you were forsaken, dime accepted, you were condemned, and I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died. were forsaken I'm accepted you were condemned I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again let sing about his amazing love Set you free. free If the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. If the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. If the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. If
0: the sun has set you free, you are free. First line: If the sun has set me free, if the sun has set me free,
1: I am free indeed. If the sun has set me free, I am free indeed. Amazing love, amazing love. How can it be that you, my King, would die for me? It's true, it's my joy to all.
0: scriptures say if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May we hear the words of Jesus our Savior as spoken to the woman that night, spoken to us. Your sins are forgiven.
1: Amen.